Well, good evening. The uh, microphone works at the very beginning, so that's a good sign. Well, I am uh, always very grateful to uh, be a part of Michael and uh, to be a part of what God's doing here and uh, the opportunity to share. Um, it's, uh, it's an amazing and daunting and overwhelming and unbelievable opportunity when you get to open God's Word and say, God, what do you want me to say? And, uh, you know, that's one of the things that kind of birthed out of uh, this series was um, just me doing evaluations in my own life. Uh, I, I don't want to be complacent. Uh, I, I've, and I'll share a little bit tonight, but I've lived my life in, uh, in constant evaluation uh, and making sure that I max out every, every second that I get. And, and experiences cause some of that, and I'll share a little bit of that tonight. Uh, and so I constantly ask myself, you know, am I doing what I'm supposed to be doing? Am I where I'm supposed to be? Uh, am I, you know, pursuing the things that I'm supposed to be doing? And, you know, oftentimes people live lives behind the scenes and they seemingly go through life unnoticed. And so living out loud was kind of the plea of my heart is that I want to pursue the things of God. I want to be passionate about the things of God and I want to be intentional. I want there to be purpose. I don't want it to you know, the lights to be turned out and, and say, well, you know, what, what did I do? How did, how did that work? You know, one of the, uh, uh, I guess, ad advantages, maybe you'd say, uh, is that I've been on both sides of the fence. Uh, I've uh, served in full-time ministry uh, for uh, several years. I served uh, in part-time ministry, uh, and as far as staff, I guess, is a better way to say it. And then I've, you know, I'll currently serve full-time uh, in uh, a secular world, in a job. And uh, so I've seen both sides. And, you know, the expectations that uh, I have for myself that I derive from the Lord, and, uh, you know, I constantly fight with that. And, you know, working full-time and the things that the world throws at us and the questions that we always constantly have to answer, and, and we all deal with that. And uh, so that's one of the things that kind of drove this into my heart uh, about what it is that the Lord wanted me to say and, uh, and what we would be chatting about tonight. So tonight, uh, part two, as we continue of Live Out Loud, is living with passion. And uh, so tonight, uh, it's my hope that we will leave understanding what the greatest passion we can have is, and uh, maybe God will convict us of some areas that we fall short in that and, and draw us into that, that pursuit. Uh, I think when you talk about this whole series, it, it really could be summed up in, you know, one or two sentences that we're passionately pursuing the purposes of God, that we're intently uh, focused on that in which He has created us for. And again, like I said last week, make no mistake, it, it wasn't to be great at our jobs or to be, uh, you know, the best in our fields, but it was to, uh, to pursue Him. And to be who it is that he created us to be. So let's go to the Lord and ask him to bless our time uh, tonight before we start. Father, we come to you tonight, Lord. And, and God, I, I just want to thank you, Lord, that, God, you love us. Uh, God, in spite of the times that I've pursued other things with my heart and my mind, uh, God, you still pursued me. Uh, God, I just have been thinking all week about Psalms 23, 6 and Surely goodness and mercy will pursue me, will follow me all the days of my life. And God, I'm so grateful that your mercy follows me. 
and the sinfulness and the, and the failures that I experience in life, God, you're right there. And God, you pick me up and, and you love me. And God, you chase after me with your grace. And God, I pray uh, for the message tonight, Lord, I thank you for your word. God, I thank you for the perfect example that your word sets before us. God, may it always be the standard in our lives uh, that we pursue your word and everything that we pursue is verified by your word. And so tonight, God, as we endeavor on the search of passion and God, the many passions in life that we have, Lord, show us the one thing that is worthwhile. God, show us the one passion uh, the one passionate pursuit, uh, God, that ends in victory, and that is passionately pursuing you. Jesus, bless the reading of your word. God, we pray that your Holy Spirit will visit us here tonight. God, uh, Holy Spirit, you are welcome. And uh, Lord, we pray that you will convict us in areas that we fall short. And may your grace mend those areas so that we can be more like Jesus. For it's in his name that we pray. Amen. So when you think about passion, what, what are some things that you think about? So this is a, uh, the uh, uh, time where you interact. So uh, what are some things that you are passionate about or you know other people are passionate about? What was it? The Spurs of sports, yeah. Uh, people are very passionate about sports. Uh, what, are, what are a few other things that people are passionate about? Families. So relationships, work, people can be very passionate about their work. People can be fat, passionate about food, yeah. Rod loves Pop-Tarts, we learned. So, uh, so you can be passionate about many things. You can be passionate about music. And so when you think about passion, uh, how often do you think about passion in relation to God? How often do you designate that identification to uh, a believer or a follower of God. I mean, there are very few people in my life that I would say they are passionate about God. Now, make no mistake, we're very passionate about many other things. Uh, you know, I'm from Jones County, from Laurel, and uh, in December of 2009, uh, there was a little boy named Nathan that was getting off of the bus. And uh, it was on uh, Houston Road, uh, not far from where I grew up. And, and so Nathan got off the bus, and the school bus sign came out, and there was cars behind uh, the bus. And uh, there was a vehicle that was on further back that didn't want to stop. And so as Nathan got off the bus, and he went to cross over to uh, his house uh, where they had recently moved, uh, this car came flying by the bus and everybody there and hit Nathan. And uh, went on, and their uh, car chase ensued, and they ended up arresting the guy and, of course, you know, put him in jail. And uh, Nathan uh, Key died from his injuries uh, of the school bus uh, accident. And so his mom, uh, Lori, began a very passionate pursuit of stricter school bus vehicle laws. And so uh, Chris McDaniel, you, you've heard the name before, he, he became the proponent behind that law. Uh, Chris does uh, legal work in Laurel, and, and so he became the proponent. And so Nathan's law was born, and legislation was written uh, for this law, making it illegal to pass a school bus when the vehicle is unloading. And so there's some very, very strict laws that surround that. And so, uh, you know, being from Jones County, and of course I was living in Laurel at the time, and and so you, you hear all of the news media and you hear all of the conversations and you hear uh, all, of, uh, all of the interviews and, 
and everything that goes behind that. And she became just consumed with making it count, making this mistake that this, you know, this person made and, and, and taking the life of her young child. She, she very passionately pursued making something different about that. You see, experiences really shape our passion. And uh, I think a lot, of, a question that I think in my mind so oftentimes, especially when I read the gospel, is about the disciples. I mean, you think about Christianity today, and there's, you know, what, two plus billion people today that proclaim the name of Christ. And you think about that, but it didn't start with two billion people. It started with 11 guys. And they put everything that they had into uh, following after, pursuing after a man named Christ. One of the things that uh, Francis Chan says about, and I think I may have said this before, uh, but he said that his goal in life is that he would look, his desire is that he would look like somebody's life who came out of the Bible, not out of the Bible belt. And I think a lot of times I'm guilty of living what's acceptable opposed to living what's passionately pursuing after Christ. I mean, really, if you think about it, what would cause these men to end up giving all of their lives in a martyr's death for the cause of the gospel of Jesus Christ? Apparently, there was this this cause, this passion that changed inside of their heart, this experience that motivated them to give absolutely everything, to abandon all cause, to abandon all uh, uh, rationale, if you will, uh, to pursue this man named Jesus. You see, as I was studying about passion and, and praying through this, it, this resounding theme continued to come back up, and that is that we are passionate about the things by which we have been affected. We're passionate about the things that have affected us. I mean, you think about your life and the things that you're passionate for. Uh, you know, Wendy mentioned the Spurs. Well, uh, it would probably be no surprise that you're from Texas. So you've been affected by uh, the, the culture of Texas. Maybe it's music. There's uh, probably some type of heritage in your family or some type of experience you've had to where you had a very moving moment with music. And you can apply that to whatever your passion may be. So then I ask the question to you this evening, what is your passion? If people had to define the, the pursuits that you have in life in which you recklessly chase after what would they be? And I guess ultimately the question we would ask is, are they Jesus? Are they for Jesus? You see, when, when you've been affected by something, it changes you. And it causes you to live out loud. You, you think that Nathan's mom cared what people thought when she was lo uh, lobbying for Nathan's law? Do you think she cared what the opinion of other people were or the situation of any other scenario that applied to that? Her main focus was that Nathan be remembered and nobody else have to go through this again. She pursued this with reckless abandon. Now, passion can be expressed in many different ways, but it originates when something has shaken you to the core. So if you will, turn with me. We'll be at various places tonight, but turn with me to Luke chapter 24. Luke chapter 24. You know, one of the things in life that we chase after uh, is comfort. We, we act as though comfort and luxury are the chief requirements of life. But you don't see anybody passionately chasing after comfort. You don't, you don't see anybody patiently chasing after luxury. 
Actually, what really makes people pursue things is something to be enthusiastic about. Some cause. You, you look at the, the actions that have happened uh, over the years. Uh, people like, for instance, the uh, David Koresh incident. Uh, you, you, there are several other incidents like that that have happened. And you ask, how could somebody be caught up in that? And the, the answer, you know, if you zoom out, is that they were given something to be enthusiastic about. They gave a cause. There was an effort that they could put forth that would give them some self-worth to which they felt like they were accomplishing something. So they became passionate about something that they were given the opportunity to be enthusiastic about. In Luke chapter 24, we know the story. Jesus had been crucified. Uh, in Luke 24, it begins with Jesus. Uh, on the first day, it begins where Jesus uh, rose from the grave. They came to the tomb. Jesus was not there. And the Bible talks in verse 13 about these two guys that were on the road to Emmaus, probably one of the most uh, telling parts of Scripture, uh, about uh, the uh, in encounter with Jesus after his resurrection. In verse 13, there were two, it says that day, Two of them were going to a village named Emmaus about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking with, with each other about all these things that happened. And so you know the story about how Jesus began to walk with them. And, and they began to talk about the things that happened. And they talked about the resurrection. And uh, Jesus began to share with them uh, the things that took place. It says, uh, uh, as they were talking to him in verse 22, they began to tell him, Moreover, some of the women came and amazed us. They were at the tomb in the morning when they did not find Jesus' body. They came back saying that they had even seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. And so the Bible says that beginning with Moses, verse 27, and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. And so as they drew to Emmaus, they uh, invited Jesus in. You know the rest of the story. And they broke bread with Jesus. And this is what he said uh, when he left, it says, He vanished from their sight, verse 32, and they said to each other, Did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures? So that's the question that we ask ourselves is what causes our heart to burn within? What causes the stir within our heart to move our actions, to, to go thousands of miles from home to share the gospel, to go places where the gospel has never been, to sacrifice time or money or effort, to, to pursue after Jesus so that other people may know Jesus? What causes that? What is that passion? What is, what is that stir? The Bible says in Psalms 39.3, My heart became hot within me as I mused the fire burned. And then I spoke with my tongue. What is it that causes our heart to burn? What are those things that which drive you to have passion specifically for Jesus? So tonight I just want to give you a couple of thoughts concerning that. And I want to explore the life of Peter. You see the first thing that uh, I think uh, we learn from passion is that passion comes from experience. Passion comes from experience. We, we could uh, pick apart the story of uh, the road to Emmaus and see that they had experienced the raw emotion of their Lord and Savior Jesus dying and being risen from the grave and the up and down of that uh, journey that they went on. And then there's Jesus right before them. The, the culmination of their faith was standing right beside them. And, and the Son of God explained the Holy Scriptures to them. And so this experience that they had with Jesus drove their passion. You see, many of us have had experiences in life that 
drive our passions. In 1997, it was May of that year, I was just about to graduate. And uh, I have family that lives in Birmingham. And so uh, we drove up and uh, we uh, got a couple of my cousins to come back for graduation. And so as we were leaving town, uh, we were very intent on getting back, you know, uh, you know, just ready to drive back. We made the trip in one day, we're going to come back. And so uh, we were trying to leave very rapidly. Well, my cousin uh, who wasn't coming, Gretchen, uh, she, she called and said, hey, uh, I've got to stop by the gas station. I'd like to see you all. Meet me over in Trustful. I, I'd like to, to see you before you go. Well, you know, we really don't have time. Well, I'd just like to see if you just, just just stop by on the way through. Well, okay. And so we drove over to Trustful on the way back through. They live in Clay area. And uh, so we stopped and Gretchen came. And, and uh, so for a very, very brief moment, we, we uh, spent time with Gretchen. She was pumping gas. And, and so we chatted. And so we went inside and, and we got uh, something to drink and, and we left. And so I remember pulling away and we looked back and and, you know, we waved goodbye, and, and that was it. You know, five, seven minutes maybe of interaction, and we were gone. Well, later that afternoon, uh, my uh, aunt was going to work, and uh, it was the evening. She was night shift nurse, and she had an accident. And so uh, the, uh, the police department called my uncle and said, you know, your spouse has had an accident, and you need to come down to the, uh, you need to come down to the hospital. Well, they didn't relay the uh, extent of the uh, damage, which was not very much, to my aunt. And, uh, but they just said, hey, you need to come down here. Well, Gretchen was 21 days from her wedding. And her and Wesley, her fiancé, were at the house with my uncle. And they were, um, you know, they were, getting, they were actually filling bags with birdseed for the wedding. And so they jump in the van and they race towards the hospital. Well, my aunt didn't take the van that night because the tires were bad on the van. So it was the only other vehicle. They hop in the vehicle. Well, a few miles down the road as they uh, enter the interstate, they uh, had an accident. And uh, they uh, died in the accident. So less than 12 hours later, we get a phone call. Hey, Gretchen and Daryl, they've died in an accident. And so you, you have these experiences in life that you never forget. And so one of the things that I live my life by, if you know me, if you, if, you, if, you, if you spend time with me, I'm very intentional about family. And so I spend a lot of time with my family, and I make it a purpose to do that. And the reason I do is because you only get one shot. And, uh, and so I look back at that, and I think, would I do it differently? Would I spend more time there? Would I, would I stay the afternoon? You know, what would I do? And I think we all look back at that, and it shapes our opportunities in life. You see, many people have experiences like that in their life. As I was thinking about that, and, and obviously it's very touching to me, you know, almost 20 years later, you don't forget. And so you go through these experiences and you say, how does it change how I live my life? So how has your relationship with Christ changed the way you live your life? What has it done to mold you into who God wants you to be? How does it drive your actions? I mean, when I get off work, you know, I come home to spend time with family. If it's Saturday, I'm doing stuff with family. Because I don't want to miss a moment. I don't want there to be opportunities where I look back and say, well, I should have. Our passions, however, should drive us to be more like Jesus. You see, the word passion comes from 
uh, the Greek word P-A-S-C-H-O, Pasco. And it happens 42 times in the Bible. So if you look in the New Testament, you see 42 occurrences of this word. And it basically means to feel heavy emotion, to suffer, to be affected. And so when we talk about having passion, it means that we've been affected. We've been changed. I can remember, uh, you know, growing up and people talking about coming to know Jesus and saying how it radically changed their life. And that's what the gospel is, is that God infuses the the Holy Spirit of God into your life. He does something supernaturally for you and for me that we can't possibly do for ourselves. And so how is it possible that the God of the universe, the creator of all there is, can supernaturally transform our heart and yet we not live a passionate life for Him? You see, God takes these experiences in our life And he uses them, he molds them for us to to be passionate for him. Of the 42 times that uh, that word Pasco is mentioned in the New Testament, uh, 40 of those times are about suffering. And, And so as I began to think about this, in essence, basically passion comes out of suffering. When you think about passion and you think about uh, Jesus, the passion of the Christ, the suffering of Christ, it comes out of our suffering. And so as we uh, look, I I just want to kind of walk quickly tonight through the life of Peter and look at the things that happened in his life and then ask ourselves the question, how do we look in relation to that? In Luke chapter 5, these verses will come up. Verses 6 through 8, the Bible talks about Simon Peter when he first uh, came to know Jesus. This is where Jesus is calling uh, Peter. It says, Master, we told all night and took nothing, but at your word I will let down my nets. And when he had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish, and their nets were breaking. And they signaled to their partners in the other boat uh, to come and help them. And they came and filled both the boats so that they began to sink. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. Jesus had an encounter with Peter, and and Peter's response was, Jesus, I am sinful. He recognized exactly who he was and what he was not in his life. So his passion for God did not start out with him being different or special. You know, when we think about people being passionate for God or we think about the disciples, it is so easy for us to conclude that they were different. It is so easy for us to look at uh, Pastor Tony or Pastor Rod or Pastor Brian and say, oh, well, it's easy for them to be godly because that's all they do. No, that's wrong. Again, I've been on both sides of the coin, and I can speak from experience in both areas. It's not the special people that God calls for the kingdom of God. It's not those who are the most gifted that God uses in the kingdom of God. It's those that say, God, whatever it is you call me to do, I am willing to do for the kingdom of God. And so that's where passion comes from, is that we've had these experiences in our life that etch or burn on our heart. And so here we see Peter at the very beginning, he was a sinner saved by grace. There was nothing supernatural about him that God chose. It was simply that Peter was obedient in pursuing Christ. Later on in Peter's life, we see that Peter became part of the inner circle of Jesus' disciples, Peter, James, and John. Uh, They were all three present uh, when Jairus was raised in Mark 5, when Jesus was transfigured on the mountain in Matthew 17. But one of the things, if you study the life of Peter long enough, and I know we're really 
packing this in short tonight, is that Peter's passion would often lead him to do things that sometimes he would regret. I mean, you read, uh, for example, where in Matthew 14, where Peter was walking on the water, but the Bible says that he began to look around, and then when he looked around, he began to sink. I mean, think about that. Think about that scenario. Peter walked on water. Out of passion for pursuing Jesus, he said, Jesus, if it's you, bid me to come out on the water with you. And Jesus says, well, come on. He was the only, he's done something that no one else has ever done through his passion for Jesus. It was Jesus who also took Jesus aside in Matthew 16 and rebuked him for when Jesus talked about how he would die. But, of course, Jesus swiftly corrected him. Peter spoke out of turn when he was uh, around Jesus because he was passionate about edifying or glorifying Jesus. It was Peter that erected the three tabernacles in honor of Moses, Elijah, and Jesus at the transfiguration in Matthew 17. But when he realized the glory of God was present, he fell to the ground in fearful silence. It was also Peter that's famously known for drawing his sword and attacking the servant of the high priest in John 18 when they came to arrest Jesus in the garden. I mean, Peter basically was, I'm going to go for Jesus first, and then I'm going to rationalize what it looks like second. I mean, everything he did in his life was, if it causes me to chase after Jesus, count me in. I mean, I think about Isaiah where he says, here am I, Lord, send me. That's how Peter was. He didn't care what the question was. He just wanted to chase after Jesus. He walked on water. He cut a man's ear off. He saw Jesus heal multiple times. It was Peter who even boasted that he would never forsake Jesus, even if everybody else did. But we know the story of how that ended. After all Peter experienced, he faltered. And when the pressure cooker was turned up, what did Peter do? He said, well, I don't know Jesus. Something that uh, we really nail him down for. But you can't fault Peter for passion. I mean, as I was thinking about this message and thinking about the walk of his life, it was hard to get away from Peter. Of all that he experienced, he would be the last person that we would expect to falter. I mean, he was, you know, the inner circle with Jesus. He saw all of the things that Jesus uh, performed, miracles, miracle after miracle in the New Testament. And yet Peter still said, no, I don't know Jesus. You see, sometimes Peter's passion for the gospel, I think, was overshadowed by the shortcomings of his nature. I mean... Again, Jesus is not looking for us to be these perfect creatures that, uh, you know, we say and do all the right things. But I think that there's got to be some validity to us passionately chasing after him. And so we read the story of the failure of of Peter, but the good news is that it didn't end there. You know the rest of the story. And one of my favorite interactions with Peter is in John 21, where Jesus is on the shore and they're out fishing. And and Jesus calls the disciples in. And when the disciples come in, Peter's there. And and so Jesus asked Peter, he says, if you love me, feed my sheep. And he asked him that three times. You see, Peter knew that he had failed. He knew he had made a mistake. And so he was given this second chance, if you will. And I think it was a turning point in Peter's life. You know, arguably it was a time where Peter said, in my mind, I think Peter said, you know what? I'm going to do it different this time. 
This following after Jesus is the real deal. And, and I made a huge mistake, but you know what? I'm not going to do that again. I'm going to give everything that I've got. And so I, I think that Jesus, in essence, was really telling Peter here, if you really love me, and we know, you know the interaction there, if you love me, feed my sheep, then your passion will be my passion. If you really want to, to lead the life that I've called you to live, Peter, then you're going to pursue the things that I pursue. Last week we talked about the things that Jesus pursued, and it was the Father's heart, and it was people. That was the things that Jesus pursued. And so I think he's telling Peter, if you want to be passionate about something, be passionate about what I'm passionate about. And so we read in the first part of Acts, uh, the day of Pentecost, guess who shows up as the main speaker at Pentecost? Peter. And so there's 3,000 people who are saved on the day of Pentecost. You see later on in the life of Peter, Acts chapter 3, uh, he healed a lame beggar. I, I was studying back, I think it's Matthew, uh, I can't remember the chapter in Matthew where uh, the disciples, it was right after the, trans, the Mount of Transfiguration where Jesus and uh, uh, James and Peter and John came down from the mountain and uh, the disciples are standing there and this boy who uh, was possessed with a demon is brought to Jesus and uh, they say Jesus, the disciples, couldn't at, could not cast this demon out and so Jesus had to uh, cast the demon out and so we see there was things that couldn't be done before they were affected by the resurrection of Jesus that now Peter is performing after the resurrection of Jesus. He preached boldly in uh, Acts chapter 4 before the Sanhedrin. And and so what we get from the life of Peter in summation is this, and and this was kind of the defining moment for me, is that when we talk about passion coming from experience, it's not something that the experience is not something that defines our view of God, but yet it is something that refines our view of God. The experiences that Peter had uh, with uh, denying Christ and uh, even the resurrection, uh, all of those things didn't define who Jesus was. What defined who Jesus was was who Jesus said he was the entire time. And so Peter had to refine his thought of who Jesus was. It wasn't a new definition that he began to come up with after all of these experiences. It was a new understanding that God gave him of all the things that he had tried to share with him up until that point. So when we have these experiences in life, it should sharpen our focus on what really matters. So what is your passion in life? What experiences have shaped you to be the person of God that he's called you to be? So not only does uh, passion come from experience, the second thing that uh, we learn about passion is that godly passion has purpose. You see, you can be passionate about the wrong things. I mean, you know, we've had discussions, I've talked to Pastor Tony about this before, about other religions, and, and they're passionate. I mean, think about some of the things that are happening overseas today. There's not a lack of passion in what they're doing. You can't can't say that's not present. But what it is is that it's not godly passion. It's not passion for the right things. I was having a conversation uh, with a a person uh, from another church uh, a couple weeks ago, and, and we were talking about church and we were talking about Jesus, and we were talking about, uh, you know, planting churches and going where the gospel's not, and we were talking about missions and, and just that conversation, and uh, the comment was made, I belong to the body of the church. 
And there was, there's huge implications to that for me. I, I love Michael Memorial Baptist Church, but I belong to the body of Christ. We are the body which makes up the church. And so it's not a building. If this building went away tomorrow, we're going to be just as effective as we were the day when we had the building. And so when we talk about being passionate for for a purpose, what we're talking about is being passionate for a godly purpose. Galatians, Paul writes in 4.18, it is always good to be made much of for a good purpose. I mean, how many times, even this last Wednesday night, is it mentioned that Michael's known as a praying church? Michael's known as a praying church. Well, praise the Lord that we're known that, uh, for people that can reach the throne of God. So individually, again, what is your passion? What are you known for? Paul says in Romans uh, 15, 20 again, and thus I make it my ambition to preach the gospel, not where Christ has already been named, lest I build on someone else's foundation. Paul's intention, Paul's mission, Paul's passion was to preach the gospel by all means necessary. He had purpose in his passion. His passion was literally to bring good news. That's what uh, Paul writes in Romans 15. Preach the gospel means to bring good news. And that was Paul's purpose in life. And so when we talk about godly passion having purpose, think about Peter at Pentecost. Peter had experienced all this stuff in, in his life and all these things had happened. And now he says, you know what, I'm going to get it right the second time. You see, Matthew 12, 34, the the Bible says, You brood of vipers, how can you speak good when you are evil? For out of the abundance, Jesus says, of the heart, the mouth speaks. You see, what you find yourself doing is probably what you're passionate about. What you find yourself talking about all the time is probably what you're passionate about. And Peter found himself talking about the things of God. In Acts 2.21, the Bible says, It shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. As Peter is preaching the message at Pentecost, Peter says, The one thing that matters most is that you know Jesus. And not that you just know about him in your mind, as the Gnostics did, but that you know about him in your heart, that you're affected by the things that Jesus did. You see, Peter's passion at Pentecost was to get it right the second time. The love and the forgiveness that Jesus had had compelled him to the extent that he held nothing back for Jesus. As a matter of fact, towards the end of our experience with Peter in Acts chapter 13, the Bible says in verse 14, Now when they had seen the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated common men, they were astonished and they recognized that they had been with Jesus. See, that's my passion. And I don't get to pursue it half as much as I'd like to. I I mean, I I confess to you today that I don't spend half as much time as I'd like to pursuing the heart of God. I mean, I wish I could sit all day and just read and pray and, and spend time knowing more about Jesus. I'm captivated by Scripture and how the original language always ties uh, to to. Uh, to today's language. Uh, we'll see in just a second of Psalm 69 as I was studying this and how John 2 and Psalm 69 interrelated. It blows my mind every time I study it. And see, that's what our passion ought to be is simply Jesus. Because when that's our passion, people around us will notice here later on in Peter's life the passion that Peter had for Jesus was far beyond his words, it led his actions. And ultimately, it led to his death. So Peter had a purpose in his passion, and that was that people would know Jesus. 
That's a pretty good passion, by the way. But the ultimate example, I think, that we have is with Jesus himself. In John chapter 2, we uh, know the story of how Jesus had just called his disciples. And uh, so in John chapter 2, the Bible starts with uh, Jesus being at uh, the wedding of Canaan. And uh, Jesus is at the wedding, and uh, after the wedding is over with, the Bible says in verse 13 that the Passover of the Jews was at hand. And Jesus went up to Jerusalem. And so Jesus goes up, and, and, he, and he goes where? He goes to the temple. And what's going on in the temple? There's all these money changers in the temple, and uh, they're swapping out. They've made these rules about what money can be used and what money can't be used. And so Jesus shows up, and, and they're making uh, this money thing a big issue. They're making the, the house of God more than just about God. And so he tells them, my father's house is it's not a house of trade. And, and so in verse 17, the Bible says, his disciples remember that it was written, zeal for your house will consume me. So you flip back to Psalm 69, which is where that's at, and it says Psalm 69, 9, For zeal for your house has consumed me, and the reproaches of those who reproach you have fallen on me. And so Jesus is, is zealous. He's passionate about the purpose of the temple, the purpose of worship, the purpose of people coming to know God. And so the disciples remember that, and so Jesus goes on to tell them, he says, uh, uh, destroy this temple in verse 19, and in three days I will rise it up. And they said, it's taken 46 years to build this temple, and you're going to rise it up in three days? But he was speaking about the temple of his body. So here Jesus shows up, and he tells him, uh, you know, you guys aren't going to make this about money. This is about God. And so he tells them, you can destroy this temple. He's speaking of himself, and in three days I'll build it up. And so Jesus was talking about himself. Revelations 21, 22 says, I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. Jesus is the temple. So as I, I began to think about Jesus showing up to the temple, and, and Jesus cleansing the temple uh, for having the wrong pursuits, the wrong passions, I began to think about my life and how guilty I am of the same things. You know, the Bible talks about, uh, you know, our bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit. And how many times have we allowed, uh, well, I can just speak for myself, how many times have I allowed negative thoughts or, or sinful thoughts to cross my mind? How many times have I allowed pursuits in my heart and my mind to chase after things that have no godly end in sight? How many times have I made idols in my own life that have supplanted the temple, which is Jesus, in my life? I mean, these are questions I wrestled with because I want my passion to be known for consumed by Jesus. I don't want my passion to be known by anything else. One of the things I often have told my dad is uh, what you do is not who you are. Your career is not who you are. It's who you are in Christ that defines who you are in the world. You see, our passions oftentimes are for the things that do nothing for the kingdom of God. Don't get me wrong, there's some good passions in life. You know, sports was one of them. I love sports. Those are good things. Music is good things. But good things can get in the way of great things if they're not God things. 
And so if we allow whatever your passion may be, there's nothing wrong with being passionate about sports. There's nothing wrong with being passionate about music or food or whatever those things may be. But if those passions take the place of our passion for God, if we're known more about our passion for our hobbies than we're known about our passions for our Savior, there's a problem. Jeremiah chapter 20 verse 9 He talks about this in Jeremiah. He says, if I say I will not mention him or speak any more in his name, there is in my heart as if it were a burning fire shut up in my bones, and I am weary with holding it in, and I cannot. Shouldn't that be our prayer? That we grow weary because we can't contain this fire that is within us. We, we can't contain this passion that we have to know more about Jesus and that other people know this Jesus that we know. Uh, as Pastor Tony mentioned, Amos chapter 3, verse 8, uh, the Bible says, The lion has roared, who will not fear? The Lord God has spoken. Who can but prophesy? I mean, we sing these songs. Uh, he's uh, roaring like a lion and God's not dead. And all those things are true. But are they true for you? I mean, they're true for Jesus. Make no mistake, the life I live or don't live has zero implications of Jesus Christ being on the throne. But my passion for him can make some implications of the people around me. There's a story about a great English actor uh, named uh, William McCready. And, uh, and he's from London, and he would go around, and, and he was very, very good at, at uh, acting out and, and telling plays. You know, back uh, in earlier days when they were... Uh, act they would have these uh, either open forums or they would have these giant areas where they would come in and of course the amplification of volume was not an option and so uh, those with loud voices and good acting skills were really uh, looked upon as as very talented and so uh, he would uh, go around and he would perform these plays and throngs of people would just flock to hear him and, and to see him act. And there was a prominent preacher at the time who came to him and, and he says, uh, I wish that you would explain something to me, the story goes. And so McCready says, well, what is it? He says, I don't know if I can explain anything to a preacher. And so the preacher asked him the question, he said, what is the reason for the differences between you and me? He says, you are appearing before crowds night after night with fiction. You know, it's, it's just made up. You're out here performing stuff that, that doesn't matter, and the crowds come wherever you may go. He says, I'm preaching, the preacher says, the essential and unchangeable truths of God, and I'm hardly getting any crowd at all. And McCready thought for a minute, and his answer was simple yet profound. This is what he said. He said, Pastor, the, uh, the answer is quite simple. He said, I can tell you the difference between you and me. He says, when I'm out acting, I present my fiction, I present my acting as though it were truth. And you present your truth as though it were fiction, as though it were acting. I think a lot of times we're guilty of that. I think a lot of times the people around us that don't really know the Jesus that's within us because we're pretty good at the religious system. We're, we're good at going through the motions. We know what's acceptable, uh, what time is acceptable to show up to church and we know what's acceptable to check a box. But are we really passionate? 
You see, passion comes from experience. And, and I would challenge you to this. If you've really experienced the goodness of God, like we talked about last week with Jesus, that he pursued the Father's heart because he knew the goodness that was in the Father's heart. And so it drove him to pursue every ounce of his being to know more of the Father and to pray and to spend time in knowing and, and, and pouring into the guys that were around him to pursue the heart of God. And so oftentimes we, we miss the boat on that. Instead of presenting ourselves and this is who Jesus is in my life and I'll make no bones about it. I don't want to be good at a system. I don't want to be good at uh, checking a box. I want to be as, as best as I can in simply chasing after Jesus and knowing Jesus. So our passion comes from these experiences. So what I would say to you is, has the experience of coming to meet Jesus so radically changed your life into where, just like Jeremiah said, you cannot keep it in. I, I've not known Wade as long as many of you have, but I get the pleasure of sitting in Sunday school with him every Sunday morning. And, and I can tell you one thing I do know about Wade. He loves Jesus. He's passionate for Jesus. You see, experience changes you. I've heard the testimony of Wade. I've heard uh, of how at age 27, God got a hold of his life and he changed him. And that experience will radically transform you. I see Joe Wirtz singing the choir every Sunday. Without fail, Joe's the most passionate singer in our choir. He is. Ask Joe about his testimony. I've had the wonderful opportunity of spending some time in Brazil with Joe. And you get a lot of time on buses and planes when you go on mission trips and you learn somebody. Because experience changes you. When you meet Jesus, he changes you. And your passion becomes for the things that are beyond this world. You see, your passion becomes godly passion. And you begin to pursue those things in which God pursues. You begin to have passion for those things that God has passion for. And all, although um, the world may fade, although the possessions that you have may wilter, and they may go away, Jesus will be just as strong as ever. And so my question for you tonight is, what is your passion? And might I submit to you tonight that it should be more of Jesus. Father.